Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, episode 46 of the show. I am so grateful and thankful that you have decided to download, listen, and enjoy. I'm really excited to get into this episode. We have a lot to talk about, not only in regards to the Boston sports teams that played yesterday or over the weekend, But in this episode, I'm going to be going over my full first round mock draft 2.0. I'm so excited to go into it. I'm going to dive in and out of a lot of detail in terms of players, potential trades, prospects, teams, all the nitty gritty I want to go over today as we enter the final couple of days before we enter the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. However, like I mentioned, I do want to talk about the Boston sports teams that did play yesterday and or over the weekend as well as we do have some takeaways, some notes that we need to discuss in regards to the Celtics, Bruins, and the Red Sox. However, but first, I do want to thank you yet again for downloading, listening, and enjoying to Murph's Boston Sports Talk as that is ever so grateful to me and I could not be more appreciative of your support. As a reminder, you can always find me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. You can reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, DMs, whatever it may be. Also, YouTube, where I upload this podcast whenever I upload it to the audio-only platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, all the goods. I also upload this podcast onto YouTube as well, just in case that is a preferred platform of a lot of people, which I believe it is. So I try to accommodate anybody and everybody I possibly can, day in and day out, episode by episode as well. And speaking of YouTube, I do want to give a quick reminder that on Thursday at 8 p.m. local time, Eastern, I will be going live on YouTube to cover the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. No, I will not be live for the whole first round in all 32 picks. I will be live from pick one up until whenever the Patriots make their selection. As it currently stands today, Monday at 12.12 in the afternoon, the New England Patriots sit with the 15th overall pick in Thursday's first round draft. And if they maintain the 15th pick in the draft, they will be selecting around 10.30 Eastern time. Could be a little sooner, could be a little later, depending on how quick the draft goes, how many trades there are within each pick. 
So 10.30 or so is when the Patriots will be on. However, the first round starts at 8 o'clock, and that is when you can expect me, your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, to be live on YouTube. And I am giving away a free, absolutely free Amazon gift card on the live stream as well. All you have to do is these two simple things, just two, that's it, is one, you need to be subscribed. Simple. Boom, hit the big red subscribe button, and that's it. Two, you just got to comment about something during the draft. That's all. You could be saying, oh, I hope the Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence. Well, duh. I mean, they've kind of already said that they're going to. But as long as you comment anything in regards to the 2021 draft, that will solidify you as a free entry into the draft. You could say something completely bizarre that, hey, Trevor Lawrence is going to fall to the Patriots at 15. I'm going to question you and I'm going to like, what? Huh? But it still counts. So whatever you comment, as long as it's in regard to the 2021 draft, it counts. And as long as you're subscribed, you will be entered for free into my Amazon gift card giveaway that I'll be giving out at the end of the live stream. So you're not going to want to miss it. If you happen to miss the pull, the random selection, I will personally reach out to you, whether it's on social media or wherever. I will make sure that you get your free Amazon gift card if you're so lucky to win. With all the nitty gritty out of the way, we do have to talk about the Boston Celtics. I do want to talk about them first because I do have some big points that I want to talk about in regards to them that I feel like need to be addressed right away before I go on a big ass tangent because I want to save a chunk of this time in regards to my mock draft. So, the Celtics. Friday night played the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn, and they lost 109-104. No James Harden, no Kevin Durant for the Nets, but all they needed was 15 points from Kyrie Irving. Just 15 points. They got like 20 and 19 from like Joe Harris and I don't even know who else. But all they needed was 15 points from their best available player to beat you. Oh, man, that's that's so... Ugh. Now, Tatum did have 38 points in the loss, but it was a game that the Celtics needed and should have won considering who wasn't playing for the Nets. Now, if you lost by five points and the Nets were completely healthy, throwing um, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie at you, I would walk away with your heads high despite the loss. However, it was just Kyrie out there, and he didn't even drop that many points. It was just 15 points, and that's all it took. So I'm walking away with this loss with a sour taste in my mouth because this is a game that you should have been able to win and it would have been a nice little morality booster. Plus, you could have really used the win in the standings. Sunday afternoon, the Celtics, yet again, lost to the Charlotte Hornets 125-104. And this game was kind of gross. I mean, just incrementally, slowly but surely, did this game slip out of their hands as they lost every quarter of that game all four quarters they lost not one quarter did they win not one quarter did they get on a hot streak they only scored like 15 or 16 points in the fourth quarter and all that combined shows in the final score as you lose by 19 to the charlotte hornets who i believe you've beaten like five times in a row i don't know what the exact number is but you've been able to beat them up very recently and do it very very well also the Celtics needed to win this game as well, just as much as they needed to win the game against the Nets. You could argue even more because the Nets had 
less superstar power. Not that the Haw uh, Hornets have more superstars on their team, but the Hornets were healthy and the Nets weren't. So just something to kind of munch on in terms of which win you'd rather have. Nonetheless, it was a good win from a desperate Hornets team and a poor showing from a Celtics team that should have been desperate, but they got too comfortable with that six-game winning streak that they went on earlier in the month, and they have lost three out of the last four games. They were able to beat the Suns in Boston, so I will take that. I'll take that happily. But still, losing three out of the past four is just definitely not a good place to be at currently with the landscape of the Eastern Conference as you are now tied with the Miami Heat for the sixth seed. Uh, currently, you do have the tiebreaker there. But still, you're on the cusp of that seven seed and the seven and eight seed play a play-in game. And it's just, you don't want to be involved anywhere near that play-in game. That's why getting the fourth or even the fifth seed is so vital and crucial. However, like I mentioned, the Hornets were desperate and they needed to get a win to keep their playoff hopes alive and keep them ahead of the Pacers. And they showed that yesterday where the Celtics just were flat-footed. Like I mentioned, they were too comfortable with that six-game winning streak. Just a week after, I mentioned that the Celtics team could be one that can be taken seriously. They have showed me very, very wrong in the past three out of four games. <sighs> Tough pill to swallow here. Hopefully they can get their um, their balance back. They can get back on the right track as they play the Oklahoma City Thunder at the Garden tomorrow night on Tuesday with tip-off around 7 p.m. local time. Gotta win that game. The Thunder aren't that good. They're 20-40 and 40 right now. This is a game that you should be able to win. And then moving forward, you play the Hornets again, Spurs, the end of the week on Friday. Not going to go too far ahead in terms of their schedule because, you know, at this point, we got to look at every single game because every single game is so crucial in its own respect. Moving on to the Bruins. Bruins played against the Sabres for the third time, finishing their little three-game baseball series in Buffalo. However, they weren't able to complete the three-game sweep as they did win the first two games, but weren't able to close out game three as they lost 6-4 to four to Buffalo. We saw goals from Kevin Miller, Stephen Camper, Nick Ritchie again, and Taylor Hall. Nice to see Taylor Hall continue his brief success thus far with the Bruins. Rask got the start and surrendered four goals, and Halak coming in to relieve him as he gave up one goal himself, as the sixth goal for the Sabres was an empty netter. Bruins also played the Pittsburgh Penguins on Sunday afternoon, as well as they lost 1-0 in a great, pure hockey game. I've mentioned several times on this show that hockey is the best pure sport out of the big four. Baseball has a lot of interruptions, this and that. Football, you see players look for penalties and flags all the time. Basketball, a lot of dead balls. Players always looking for fouls whenever they go for shots. Hockey is a man's sport. Not too often times you see players looking for penalties unless it's absolutely egregious. But yesterday's game was the epitome of pure hockey despite the Bruins losing one nothing, There was no penalties in this game until the final two minutes in which I'll talk about in a minute, but I want to talk about Jeremy Swayman first as again made some excellent saves. He got tested again and again by the Penguins who applied the pressure on him constantly and in barrages at times throughout the entirety of the game. Very little, very little was he not under siege by the Penguins. He 
made stops. He made great saves, spectacular saves that honestly were questionable because you're just like, how does he do that? Made some great saves that you wouldn't expect someone to make, and he was able to make it again, pressing me, impressing me along with probably other Bruin fans as well. Now going back to the penalty, as I mentioned, there was no penalties until the final two minutes of the game. <sighs> felt weird though. I got to admit, it felt weird not having penalties because usually you'll see a handful of penalties over the course of any hockey game. However, like I said, there was no no penalties until one minute and 28 seconds left to go in the game. Where we saw Patrice Bergeron, out of all people, out of all players on your team, get called for a high stick. It wasn't wasn't intentional or anything. He was just simply going for the puck down in his own corner while our net was empty. Just an unfortunate penalty from the captain in a crucial moment. Currently, we were you know playing six on five with the uh, extra skater with the penalty. You had to put the goalie back in for the faceoff, and then once you got possession of the puck, get him off, get a fifth skater back on so you can skate even strength without your goalie. Just against that Penguins team who have been red, red hot lately. Holy smokes. It just wasn't going to happen. And unfortunately, the Bruins couldn't win this one, nor come away or salvage a pity point in this one. Speaking of the Penguins, though, they're 8-1-1 in their last 10 games as they are on a four-game winning streak, and your Boston Bruins are on a two-game losing streak. They currently sit with 60 points in the division, with the Penguins now vaulting themselves up into first place with 67, followed by the Capitals at 66 and the Islanders at 63. Still a lot of hockey left to go. As long as you win the games you're supposed to win, there's no reason why you can't get one of those four seeds. Obviously, three, two would be ideal. One would be perfect. But you do have to keep in mind that the Rangers are flirting with contention right behind you. As they're only four points, four points behind you now. So just something to keep in the back of your mind as you look forward. Stepping back to the Bergeron penalty, it was moments like that where it was good to have depth on your team in terms of like having a Taylor Hall who can step up and be a part of that empty net rush or step in to fill a void when one of your top three players in Marchand, Bergeron, or Pasta go into the box late in the game. Obviously, he was out there during the six-on-five rush. However, just having that extra depth in a Taylor Hall is so nice to have because if Bergeron or one of those other two guys you know, are missing time for an injury in the box you can still have good offense on your side of the rink. It was really good to see him out there playing very well. Seemed like he was living up to the hype of what it felt like a playoff game and what it will feel like a playoff game. You know, moving forward as we finish the series with the Penguins, it's just good to see that he wasn't able to fold under pressure where these hockey games are meaningful, where in years past for Hall, they've been meaningless. Lastly, I do want to talk about the Red Sox really quickly before I go into my mock draft. And <clears throat> excuse me, the Red Sox were able to salvage a split between the Seattle Mariners as the Sox won game four of the four game series five to three on Sunday afternoon. Eduardo Rodriguez went seven strong innings, giving up the three Mariner runs as he earned his fourth win of the season, where he has improved to four and zero on the young campaign. At the beginning of the season, I think the over-under for Eduardo Rodriguez's win total was 9.5. I want to say 9.5, 10.5, or an 11.5. I want to say 9.5. I took the over because 
A, he's a good pitcher. B, you know, we've seen him get 19 before. And C, in terms of the rotation, we need him to get more than whatever the over-under was. So it was good to, it's good to see him start off very hot as he has been, especially given the circumstances that he went through with COVID and the heart condition. It's just good to see him out there healthy and he's contributing in a big way. Uh, Adam Ottavino and Matt Barnes looked sharp in their relief to seal the win yesterday. I know Adam Ottavino has been getting a lot of crap for kind of sucking, giving up walks, and you know, giving up runs or whatnot. But he did look sharp yesterday against what seems to be a good Mariners team. The game on Friday, the Sox won six to five. The game on Saturday, the Mariners won eight to two. Just to kind of recap the games that I did miss between. Friday's episode and today's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Lastly, to conclude the Sox, they do head to Queens in New York to play a brief two-game series against the New York Mets on Tuesday and Wednesday, which I'll briefly touch upon on Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Those are my updates for the three Boston sports teams that played yesterday and or over the weekend in terms of the Celtics, Bruins, and Red Sox. Any thoughts about anything that I talked about, maybe something I missed, please leave down below if you're watching on YouTube and if you're listening on audio-only platforms, please reach out to me via social media where you can find me out there at Murphs underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for Sports Talk. And without further ado, without further ado, let's dive into my personal 2021 Mock Draft 2.0 where I will run through all 32 picks in the draft where I will be talking about why teams are taking this player, why this player is going there, any potential trades in my mock draft that we could see on Thursday night. As this uh, succeeds, my 1.0 mock draft where I gave out the first 15 picks, but for the remainder of this episode, I will be doing my full 32 first round mock draft. So let's get into it. With no surprise, the number one overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars is Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson. Was anybody in question there? Oh, that's close. Hold on. Let me fix this. Okay. Was that in doubt for anybody that I wasn't going to pick Trevor Lawrence to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Let's move on. We all know why he's number one. Number two. New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson out of BYU. Um, he's also slated as like the best quarterback in the draft just behind Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent, and Zach Wilson is the second best out of the group of five that are perceived to go in the top 10, top 15. Heck, we've even seen you know five quarterbacks go in the top six in some mock drafts out there. But Zach Wilson, number two. Number three is the San Francisco 49ers that they've acquired the third pick from Houston via Miami in a real-life trade, not a mock trade. And I believe that they're going to draft quarterback Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Kyle Shanahan met with his family, had another pro day for him. I think that they really like Trey Lance and what he could become in the NFL as a quarterback. Additionally, they have Jimmy Garoppolo right now, and they might try to give him one more run for their money with him. And if they don't like him at the end of this year, they can simply move on to Trey Lance, who they drafted, and they can go from there. Or we could see them draft 
Trey Lance and then trade Jimmy Garoppolo, but a lot of experts are saying that Trey Lance will need some time being groomed as a backup for at least a year or two, and Jimmy Garoppolo's contract with the 49ers expires in two years. So it makes sense to me. Number four, the Atlanta Falcons draft tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida. He is the best non-quarterback player in this draft and maybe even the second best prospect overall behind Trevor Lawrence. It just makes sense for the Atlanta Falcons. They still have Matt Ryan, who is good, and if they want to consider moving on from him, they could address quarterback need either later in the draft or even next year. But just moving on from Matt Ryan right now makes no sense. They still have a very good offense. They need to figure things out on defense. And if you can bring in Kyle Pitts at number four, your offense is just that much better. And in a passing league that we are in in 2021, Kyle Pitts will significantly help that, especially complementing an aging Julio Jones, a rising superstar in Calvin Ridley. You also have Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley on that offense as well. Number five. This is something that I've been going back and forth with, but it just makes too much sense for the Cincinnati Bengals to not draft wide receiver Jamar Chase out of LSU. I just think that reuniting Joe Burrow with his uh, favorite target from LSU in Jamar Chase is just the ideal way to go. Now, I know it's not Panay Sewell who will protect Joe Burrow. I think that the Bengals could address tackle need in the second round even, or maybe even the third round if they want to. Just losing A.J. Green, John Ross not becoming who he was supposed to be, this just makes a lot of sense. Like I mentioned with the Atlanta taking Kyle Pitts, it's a passing league. You need receivers for your young quarterback and for him to grow and thrive in this league. Bringing in Jamar Chase, his favorite target back at LSU, just makes way too much sense for them to pass up on. Number six, this draft pick goes to Miami via Philadelphia in a real-life trade. Wide receiver, Devontae Smith out of Alabama. I think them drafting a wide receiver here makes a lot of sense. Give Tua his favorite target from two years ago in Devontae Smith, so similar mindset that the Bengals will have with Burrow and Chase that the Dolphins should have with Tua and Devontae Smith. Makes a lot of sense here. They need some targets. They need some options for Tua for him to thrive. Very similar mindset and reasonings that I have them in taking Devontae Smith here. They could easily take Jalen Waddell at this spot as well. I just think when it comes to comparing the two, I think Devontae Smith is just a little bit better, but I could totally understand and see them going Jalen Waddell, who is also uh, Alabama Crimson Tide alumni now and would also fit just as well with Tua as, you know, Jalen Waddle was a part of that passing attack a couple years ago for Alabama. Number seven, this is my first mock trade that I have, and that's involving the Detroit Lions formerly owning the seventh overall pick, trading back to 15, where the New England Patriots trade up, where they give the Detroit Lions more draft capital and assets in this draft and in future drafts. Won't go into the nitty gritty, but just a mock trade period. And I think the Patriots will draft quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State. A great selection here where they do have Cam Newton on a one-year deal. So you could have Fields backing up for half a season, maybe even the full season if necessary, riding the wave with Cam Newton, seeing if all the chatter is true that he's improved, he's become a better passer, he's fully healthy, he'll learn the full playbook. However, if not, you can slide in Justin Fields and bench Cam Newton, who will be a very 
reliable and serviceable backup if that is the case. Number eight is another mock trade between the Carolina Panthers, formerly owning the eighth overall pick, moving back to 14, trading with the Minnesota Vikings, where the Panthers will get more draft capital for this year and next year's draft, and the Vikings will select offensive tackle Panay Sewell, not taking any chances, losing him to any of the teams in between the 8th and the 14th pick. So they're going to trade up and get their guy to protect their quarterback, Kirk Cousins. I think this is a great need here, especially where he doesn't go, at least in my mock draft, to the Bengals at 5. Vikings moving up to solidify their offensive line a little bit more, giving their quarterback Cousins more time, or maybe even the successor to Cousins later down the road if they do deem to go in that direction next year or so. Number nine, Denver Broncos taking quarterback Mac Jones, who falls to them at number nine. Or maybe in some people's opinion, that is Mac Jones uh, going early. A lot of people have him going early in the draft at number three-ish, or some people have him going in the middle teens. Just it kind of depends on your viewpoint and mindset of the quarterback. However, I do have Mac Jones going to number nine and... The Broncos are going to give it one more spin with Drew Locke. He's very injury prone. He hasn't really shown much much success. Drew Locke could be that guy. Jerry Judy, um, quarter uh, wide receiver for Alabama, is in Denver. Though Mac Jones didn't really throw to him because he was backing up when Jerry Judy was with the Alabama Crimson Tide. However, those Alabama t- uh, ties <laughs> are still there, and I think that'd be a good little complimentary piece to bring in for. Jerry Judy, and also Mac Jones as well, who is claimed to be the smartest quarterback out of those five. But number nine, Mac Jones will wrap up all five quarterbacks that are projected to go early in the first round. Number 10, we have our first defensive player going, and that is cornerback Patrick Sertain out of Alabama to the Dallas Cowboys. They need cornerback help significantly bad. Their offense seems to be pretty good, especially bringing back Dak. There's no need for them to not go cornerback here. New York Giants also go the cornerback route, and they select cornerback J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Honestly, this could be flip-flopped between the two teams. Dallas could go J.C. Horn, and New York could go Patrick Sertain. I think the Giants will probably get whoever's remaining out of the two of them. There, if they had the pick to choose out of Sertain and Horn, I think that they'll go Horn. I just like to see, I personally think that the Cowboys will go certain and then the Giants will go Horn. But like I said, I could totally see that being flip-flopped either direction. Number 12, Philadelphia, which they acquired the 12th overall pick from San Francisco through Miami in a real-life trade. And I believe they will select wide receiver Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. I've heard a lot of news and reports that they should go cornerback here, and I believe that they should. But potentially giving Jalen Hurts Jalen Waddle again ties to you know a quarterback has ties to his collegiate wide receiver just makes a lot of sense especially where the two past two drafts for the Philadelphia Eagles haven't been successful in terms of drafting wide receivers as they've kind of been bums we won't you know cross them off the board yet and consider them busts but still nonetheless bringing in Jalen Waddle would be a significant offensive boost for Jalen Hurts who more than likely will be the guy moving forward. But I could totally see them going cornerback here if one of those two cornerbacks slides in the draft. Number 13, the Los Angeles Chargers taking offensive lineman Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. 
makes a lot of sense here for the similar reasons why the Bengals could draft Panay Sewell. And you need to protect your quarterback. You got to protect Justin Herbert because he is the future of that team. And that offensive line is not that good. Number 14, where we saw the Vikings trade up with the Panthers. So the Panthers are selecting in the spot and they are drafting offensive lineman Christian Darashaw out of Virginia Tech. They just got a new quarterback in Sam Darnold. Are they sold on him? Potentially. However, nonetheless, they need to figure out that offensive line because last year Teddy Bridgewater was under pressure and scrambling a lot. And regardless who that quarterback is, I think moving back in the draft, selecting their guy to solidify the offensive line, acquiring other picks as well would be a great move for the Panthers. Number 15, the Detroit Lions selecting in this spot because of a previous mock trade with the Patriots will select linebacker Micah Parsons, who some are arguing is the best defensive player in this draft, and I would highly agree with that. Although we've seen a couple other defensive players go before him in Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn, those two are secondary players where Micah Parsons is a front seven player who can do a lot of things. I just think that this makes a lot of sense for the Detroit Lions. They need a lot of things. They need a lot of things both offensively and defensively. But if they can move back and get an anchor on defense in Micah Parsons out of Penn State, that's a win right there for them. Additionally, they got the extra picks from New England to fill out their other needs. That's why I think moving back in the draft makes a lot of sense. I don't think they'll draft a quarterback here. Going offensive lineman doesn't make any sense. They could go cornerback, but they could also move back a little bit and draft a cornerback as well. But I think where Micah Parsons is, you know, rumored to go around makes a lot of sense here. Arizona Cardinals are now on the clock with 16, and I think they will draft wide receiver Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. So he is the fourth wide receiver to go and probably the best one on that next tier of receivers after Chase, Smith, and Waddle. I think Arizona loading up on offense to give Kyler Murray all the tools in his toolbox that is needed to succeed. Like I mentioned earlier, it is a passing league. Kyler Murray is a young, up-and-coming superstar. They brought in A.J. Green, who's a nice veteran. They have DeAndre Hopkins, which is nice to have, as he is arguably the best wide receiver. Bringing in Rashard Batemore uh, would be a great supplemental piece, so you don't have to rely on an aging, injury-prone A.J. Green where you can have Bateman learn under both him and DeAndre Hopkins as well. Makes a whole lot of sense. And I know that Arizona loves to be in an open gun, multiple receiver set more often than not. Additionally, I would not be surprised if they go with Greg Newsom third, or even like a Caleb Farley at cornerback at this spot as well. I just think is too salivating to not select a wide receiver in Rashard Batemore. They have a couple options as well that I'll touch upon later. But just giving Kyler Murray another receiver just seems too salivating for that team over in the desert. Next, Chicago Bears acquired the 17th overall pick from Las Vegas. And with the pick, they select offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins. Again, solidifying the offensive line. They have Andy Dalton as their quarterback this year. They'll more than likely address quarterback maybe in round two or three for the future or even as a backup to Dalton as well if he plays badly. They can throw him in, uh, throwing the young guy in. But it's all going to have to start with the offensive line because the offensive line is what protects your quarterback, whether it's a franchise guy or a veteran Bridgie. 
Number 18, the Miami Dolphins with their second pick in the first round select offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. I think protecting Tua is going to be important. He has that injury history with his hip. You don't want to see him get any more injured than he already is because there was injury issues with him in last year's draft until he ultimately went number five overall. That offensive line down in Miami is just not all that good. So addressing this need with this pick makes the most sense instead of taking Panay Sewell at six where Devontae Smith will be long gone come the time they pick again at 18 because this draft does have a lot of good offensive linemen in the first and second rounds. Number 19, we see the Washington football team. In my first mock draft, I had them taking Mac Jones here because I honestly thought he was going to slip and fall. Yes, slip and fall this deep. But I think you know Mac Jones is not going to slip and fall. And I think that the the football team would go a different direction, and that direction is drafting Terrence Marshall Jr., wide receiver from LSU. Great wide receiver. He opted out this year after playing a couple games. The second guy in that Joe Burrow LSU offense, so you know that there's a lot of skill, a lot of high-powered potential there with him. Having him alongside Terry McLaurin in that up-and-coming offense just makes a whole lot of sense here. We could see them address running back in the second round. It would just be way too foolish for them to take a running back with this pick and pass up Terrence Marshall Jr. Number 20, we have the Las Vegas Raiders selecting in this position with that trade with the Chicago Bears that I just talked about. And with this pick, they will be drafting linebacker Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa out of Notre Dame. Hopefully I pronounced that right. I believe I did. But this kid is a stud. He's a linebacker. He can do a lot of things on the defensive side of the ball. He can go sideline to sideline. And that's someone that the Raiders need. That defense was eh, last year. And just some of their draft picks from previous drafts haven't really accumulated into much. The offense is okay. They still have Carr, who played very well. They lost Nelson Aguilar to our New England Patriots. So could they address wide receiver with this spot? Absolutely. I just think Joe Gruden has that mindset where football wins championships. Therefore, he's going to go defense. Number 21, we have the Indianapolis Colts trading back to 29 where the Green Bay Packers move up and they draft wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, finally addressing that second wide receiver spot, giving Aaron Rodgers another weapon in Elijah Moore completely different receiver than Devontae Adams is as Adams is a big throw me the ball I'm gonna go get it kind of guy where Elijah Moore is your more slot underneath kind of guy speedster it will be a great compliment to Devontae Adams in that Packers offense with Aaron Rodgers giving him a nice short check down option number 22 I have the Tennessee Titans would have taken a wide receiver but I just think, you know, the Packers moving up to select Elijah Moore kind of spoiled their plans. So I have them taking edge rusher Gregory Rossow out of Miami. Them losing Jadavian Clowney this past offseason. Potentially losing Harold Landry III, their excellent pass rusher now, where his contract expires at the end of this coming season. You want to make sure that you're prepared for that. And drafting Gregory Rossow out of Miami will definitely do that giving you a great pairing between him and Landry for this year where they could draft a wide receiver come next round because there are a good bunch of receivers 
in the second and third round as this is a deep wide receiver class. The New York Jets with their second pick in the first round that they acquired from Seattle in that Jamal Adams deal. And with this pick, they take cornerback Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. One of the best prospects in this draft. However, we do see him fall to the New York Jets because of injury concerns. He has had recently back surgery, and I think that's just going to be a massive concern for teams. Tua last year had you know hip surgery, and that was a massive concern for team. And the Dolphins did take him with the fifth overall pick, so we could still see a team that could use a cornerback like Arizona take him up in the mid-teens area. We could even take Philly, jump on him at twelve. Like I mentioned, they could use a cornerback as well, but I think that injury is going to kind of push him down all the way to 23 to the New York Jets. Number 24. I've been going back and forth on this for the Pittsburgh, I almost said Pirates, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe will address one of their big needs this offseason, and that is running back, and I believe they will take Najee Harris, the running back out of Alabama. Obviously, they could address the offensive line. Obviously, they could address the secondary with a cornerback. Maybe if Caleb Farley is there, they could address that need with him. Obviously, we could see them move up and take someone else. Maybe one of those offensive linemen that went in the late teens. I don't see them moving up any. I don't see them moving up, being able to move up all the way to like 10, 11, 12 to take one of those two cornerbacks there. Obviously, they could wait to the second round to take Najee Harris. He just won't be available come this late in the second round where the Steelers are picking. So it's kind of like either move back a little bit and you know take him maybe at the end of the first, early second if you can swing that kind of a deal. But while it's staring in front of you right now, take the guy that you need. Also, Greg Newsom III here would be an excellent, excellent choice for them. I just think that offense with an aging Big Ben could use a guy like Najee Harris in their offense. Number 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars will make their second selection via a trade with the Rams that they made a couple years ago when they traded Jalen Ramsey to Los Angeles. And with this pick, they will take... Safety Trevon Morig out of TCU. Addressing a defensive secondary need is big for the Jaguars. Could they go offense here and draft maybe a Kadarius Tooney? Sure, but I think dressing defense is key as Morig is the best safety in this whole draft class. And if you're able to walk away with the best quarterback and the best safety in the same draft class, I think that's a win-win that they can pass up. Only a few more left, guys. Thank you for bearing with me as I go over my mock draft. Just have a few more selections to go over. And starting with 26, the Cleveland Browns will take edge rusher Jalen Phillips out of Miami. I think this is a good pickup for them here. Yes, they have Miles Garrett. Yes, they signed Jadavian Clowney, but Clowney may not be there next year. And I think having this guy on their team, whether it's a versatile role piece, someone that you kind of have package in and package out, be a compliment to Garrett and Clowney. I think this is a good pickup here for them. Could they go elsewhere? Absolutely. But I think have bringing in Jalen Phillips, the type of player that he is, would just make that defense even more dangerous. Could they go wide receiver here to help complement Odell Beckham, who's been rumored to be on the trading block, help complement Jarvis Landry, who took a massive step last year? Sure, but... I think you're going to get more bang for your buck with Jalen Phillips. Number 27, the Baltimore Ravens will, with their first 
first-round pick. We'll take wide receiver Kadarius Tooney out of Florida. Kyle Trask's main guy outside of Kyle Pitts. I think this is a good pickup for the Ravens as they do need to address the wide receiver position. They were able to bring in Sammy Watkins, sure, but is Sammy Watkins really going to help throw them over the top? I don't think so. So bringing in a Kadarius Tooney, just another weapon for Lamar Jackson to throw to because I strongly believe teams will start to scheme and figure out how to slow down Lamar Jackson so his legs aren't such a weapon and so lethal. Number 28, the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, they will be without Drew Brees this year, and going offense would make a lot of sense to give Jameis Winston another target outside of Alvin Kamara, outside of Michael Thomas. So losing uh, Emmanuel Sanders here does kind of affect their strategy, but I just think more bang for their buck. Offense, um, outside linebacker Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa. I just think same mindset with the Browns and Jalen Phillips. A lot of bang for your buck. You get a versatile linebacker in Collins on that defense, which is starting to age just a little bit. You could go address your wide receiver in the second and third rounds where the class is so deep at that position. In the mock trade that I had with the Indianapolis Colts and the Green Bay Packers, we approached the 29th overall pick in the draft where the Colts will be selecting edge rusher Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia. I know I butchered that and I do apologize. The Colts don't have a lot of glaring needs. They don't. I feel like they've really addressed a lot of their needs last year and so far this year in the offseason. Obviously, with Phillip Rivers retiring, they go out and draft Carson. Uh, not draft. They trade for Carson Wentz. Getting an edge rusher on that defense just to help slow down all of those pass-heavy teams in the NFL would be a huge plus for them because towards the end of the year, the defense did slowly start to give out, and I think bringing in another edge rusher would help solidify that front seven for the Indianapolis Colts. Number 30, the Buffalo Bills will be selecting outside linebacker Jason Oway out of Penn State. So the running mate to Micah Parsons here, Oway, is going to be a good versatile option for the Bills as offensively they don't have a lot of needs. You could look to running back where they could use a absolute workhorse in someone. I just don't think it'd be smart for them to take a Travis Etienne at this spot. If Najee Harris falls to them, maybe. But outside of that, I think they'll go defensive side of the ball because they did get torched by the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And I think having another linebacker that can kind of match up with whether it's Travis Kelsey or a running back in a lot of these you know pass-heavy schemes would be very, very nice for the Bills. Number 31, we only got two more left. Number 31, the Baltimore Ravens' second first-round pick that they acquired in the Orlando Brown trade with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they will take edge rusher Keith Pay out of Michigan, addressing both offensive and defensive needs on both sides of the ball here with their two first-round picks is important. Could the uh, Baltimore Ravens address offensive linemen? Yes, but I don't think they need to because they still have Ronnie Staley, um, Stanley, excuse me. They just brought in Kevin Zietler, and they also just brought in Alejandro Villanueva, excuse me, who was the offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I just think going defense here would just help complement that defense even more as they did just lose Matthew Judon. Calais Campbell is getting older and you're not going to have him forever. So addressing the edge rushing need here with pay would be very ideal for that Ravens defense. And then the last pick in the first round for Murph's 2021 mock draft 2.0, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions that don't have a lot of needs on both sides of the ball. I feel like they will take defensive tackle Christian Barmore out of Alabama. You have Ndamukong and Sue there. You have Vita Vea there. However, Sue is on another one-year deal. He's getting older. Barmore is the best defensive or nose tackle in this draft. And like I said, I don't see a lot of needs or a lot of blaring needs for the returning Super Bowl champions. What else are they going to do? Could we see them trade out of this pick, get a couple more assets to fill in some depth pieces around the team? Sure, but I don't know. At the end of the day, I think they'll still capitalize on this pick and use it to select Christian Barmore, who, like I said, is the best defensive or nose tackle, however you like to perceive it, in this draft. So that is my complete first-round mock draft for the 2021 draft that is coming up on Thursday. I think that a lot of these picks here were very logical based off of team needs, current roster state, and best available at that spot. A lot of these picks and a lot of these players could be fluctuated all across the board. You could see the top 10 look exactly like this, or you could look, see it look nothing like what I have in mind. And then once you get past 15 or so, once you like reach Arizona, once you get to Las Vegas, Miami, and Washington towards the end of the teens, things could go really anywhere in this draft. And that's one crazy thing that I love about the draft is you may think it's predictable, and obviously the first two picks seem to be predictable. However, after that, it may completely change. Blockbuster trades could come out of nowhere. Teams could be reaching and surprising us with players. We've seen players in the past fall that we maybe thought were top 10 players, but fall all the way into the 20s. So we just don't know, and everyone's mock draft is going to be wrong, mine included. But this is currently where I stand with the 2021 NFL Draft as we get to three days away. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three days away from the draft. And I'm super excited. I'm so happy that I can bring you all this draft coverage I really appreciate you just listening to me blabber and gabber about the draft for, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, however long it was. I really appreciate it. But as much as the talking I've done, I do want to hear your opinion about my mock draft, whether it's on audio-only platform that you're listening to this on or watching this on YouTube. Please reach out to me, social media, the comment section, doesn't matter where, I will get back to you. What are your thoughts about my mock draft? Is it logical? Does it make sense? Did you not like a couple picks I have? Do I have teams reaching on players or players uh, falling in the draft? What about your specific team? You know, me personally, I'm a Patriots fan, so I have the Patriots jumping up because I didn't pick it. I didn't pick Justin Fields because I want them to pick Justin Fields. I think that they will pick Justin Fields if they trade up, and I strongly do believe that they could trade up. I don't think they'll trade down, and if we do see him stay pat. Then what are their options at 15? A lot of signs point towards Micah Parsons. Nonetheless, no matter what team you're a fan of, let me know 
and let me know what you think of my mock draft for your favorite team. I would love to hear how good I did in a team's fan base. All that being said, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying, and I appreciate your support as always. I look forward to Wednesday's episode. I look forward to the live stream for the draft on Thursday, and I cannot wait. It's an exciting time to be a sports fan as baseball, hockey, and basketball are all in the full swing of things. And the most, well, the second most exciting time of the year, the NFL draft, is just a mere three days away. So definitely make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're listening, and make sure you don't miss a single thing. Till the next time. I love you guys, and I will see ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.